0: Hello, welcome to Mikey Pod. This is episode 202. Today is January 27th, 2016. I haven't done a podcast in a while. Yeah, um, let's let me like get all the details done. Uh, MikeyPod.com is a website, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> today's guests are Rafa and Lily from Collectively Free, an activist group based here in New York City with chapters all over the country. And I Am I wrong? I think all over the world now. Um, it's a really amazing organization that I'm a big fan of, and uh, I'm really happy to have these two persons on the show. So, a couple of things. I, I don't even know where to start with this. I've been going through this weird work, like per, creative work uh, struggle And uh, it it makes things stop happening, such as this podcast, which has not happened. So a lot of things are going on in my mind right now, and I'm getting to the other side of a bunch of it. But um, one of the things I've been wanting to do is to make this podcast more about my work, especially as I'm rolling into um, getting deep into writing and creating this new show that's going to be at Dixon Place in October. (laughs) And uh, all these dates, michaelherron.com. Oh, hi, I'm Michael Herron. I'm a artist and musician and teacher here in New York City and activist, I guess, too. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to say this stuff, but this is exactly how I want to do this podcast now. Uh, I have a lot of work coming up and I like sharing about this process and and talking about it here makes me accountable. When I'm accountable, that's the thing. This interview you're going to hear today, I recorded Way before the holidays, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah, sometimes things get—I get caught under feeling pity, <laughs> self pity. You know what I mean? Like, ah, uh, why do I have to do this, or why does my passion have to be this thing that, meh, nah, nah. So, like, the, the idea, like, it's—it's it's a lot. Like, here's the deal: <laughs> it's a lot. I'm. Teaching, um, almost full time. But this and that's an amazing thing. I don't teach that much, and I make enough money to survive. Um, I don't, however, make enough money to support my artwork unless I really add more things. So there's this balance that's always going on of um, wanting to make space for creativity and um, needing to make money to support it, and also enjoying teaching. To be completely honest, um. But uh, sometimes I feel like everything just sort of comes to a head and then I'm like, Bleh. and then I'm watching Walking Dead episodes on my iPad in bed <laughs> all the time instead of working. So, you know, one of the things that that has really been sort of kicking my ass and making me really think of things um, are external people such as uh, Casey Neistat. I don't know if I've talked about him that much on the uh podcasts. I know I talk about him a lot on social media. He's a filmmaker. I found him super inspiring because, um, he, he's a high school dropout. He moved to New York city with his iMac and, uh, just started making films and now he's incredibly successful. And, uh, well, one of the things that, that has been sticking in my mind has been a podcast or sorry, a, a vlog he did, um, titled losers and closers. And I'll put a link to that in the, uh, show notes at mikeypod.com and oh like what watching him like he's doing daily vlogs now and uh he creates and works a lot and there's not a day that he doesn't from what i can tell and i'm i'm pretty convinced that there's not like some kind of smoke and mirrors happening um so this whole show or vlog that he did was about uh Uh, Glen Ross, which I've yet to see, he showed a little clip of it and the whole idea of closing, always be closing, which is a phrase that uh, Alec Baldwin says in the film. Um, And the idea uh, that Casey takes from it is finish everything, right? Like don't leave things unfinished. And to him, he's got it tattooed on his arm, (laughs) always be closing, finish what you start. Um, That's what a closer does. A loser is someone who doesn't do that. So I'm not going to get really into uh, uh, self-flagellation. That's not the word I'm looking for. Well, I guess maybe it is. But I am going to get into the sort of spiritual and creative cost of not closing. So that's why I'm putting this podcast up today. Now, I have another interview that I'm going to put up on Friday, and, um, and I made a commitment to Lillian Rafa, in this episode about learning to play the guitar. And there's a chord. You'll hear us talk about it. Um, But that day has passed, too. Like, I had set a commitment that I was going to put videos of these two particular songs on YouTube, no matter what state they were in, because I I don't know how many guitar players are here. I'm a pianist. Um, Yeah, but the bar chords are kicking my butt, and I just have sort of stopped. And I'm like, eh, I can play enough songs with these five or so chords that I know but it gets in my way and it keeps me from doing things I want to do. So this podcast is released in the spirit of always be closing. Um, This interview is outdated, but still amazing. You still need to know about collectively free. Uh, You can find them at collectivelyfree.org. and I still need to learn that fucking F chord. So I'm setting myself a new date um, (laughs) to have that chord learned and to put those videos on YouTube, um, February 8th. Um, I'm going to learn, uh, there's a Sia song and a song by someone else. It's been so long. I can't even remember. I'm going to look it up today. I'm going to start working on those songs. And by February 8th, I'll have videos of both of those songs up on my YouTube channel, uh, no matter what state the songs are in. Right? So that is my commitment to you. And, uh, I got to make myself stick to it. Um, so apologies to Rafa and Lily. This interview has been just collecting dust Uh, for several weeks and, uh, they deserve, and the animals (laughs) deserve to have passionate people such as, uh, Lillian Ruffa heard. And, uh, I didn't do my part in making that happen. I am doing that part now and, uh, that's it. Uh, did I talk about everything I wanted to talk about in this intro? Yeah. Oh, one more thing. Uh, Fractured Atlas. This is a, uh, I'll learn better how to describe this, but Fractured Atlas is fiscally sponsoring me my, as Michael Heron music. So, what that means in general is I can get uh, contributions for my work. Um, I put together a budget for my show in October $20,000. <laughs> It's really weird putting it on paper because in my mind I had an ongoing list of like, yeah, yeah, I got to have to pay that person. I got to get that supply and I got to have that piece of equipment to do the show the way I want it to. Uh, So I'm applying for grants and whatnot. It's going to really help me with grants and also with getting uh, sponsorships from organizations and businesses and individuals who are interested in seeing this work happen. So um, I'm really excited about that. None of that information is up on my website yet, uh, but it will be soon. Uh, Step one, get this podcast out so it can stop hovering in the background. And um, there's some interesting. Let me see if I got a message back about that. Nope, not yet. Um, There's some stuff going on uh, collectively free this weekend in New York City. Uh, I'm not not certain that it's something I'm supposed to be able to share. So sometimes there are actions they do that uh, are under the radar. So I I don't know if this is one of those. If it's not, watch my uh, Twitter at michaelheron.com and my Facebook, uh, Michael Heron. Uh Probably I won't post it on Instagram. I really am sort of sparse on Instagram. Uh, Twitter is a great place. And if you're listening to this and you want information about an action that's going on this weekend, uh, you can always email me, michaelherron at gmail.com. Oh my God, I'm getting really wound up and my mouth is getting dry and pasty. I'm so excited. And uh, it's really early in the morning. It's not that early, 8.41. So anyway, let's get on with this. I am going to uh, play a track for you. This is kind of a, an amazing connection of some artists that I'm excited about. Um, Olafur Arnold's Icelandic composer, just brilliant. Probably my favorite composer, musician right now. If ever. He's great. Um, so it's him with Nils Fromm, who's another composer pianist. Uh, he's German. And uh, this, so it's Olafur Arnolds and Nils Fromm. It's their track called Four. It's remixed by Rival Consoles, who is an individual, if I'm not mistaken, who, uh, who uh, records and releases music under the name Rival Consoles. That person has a new album out, which is <laughs> like blowing my mind. So anyway, Rival Consoles remixed this Olafur Arnold's and Nils Fromm track called Four. All of those people I love all pushed together in one track. Uh, so here it is. And after this, we'll hear the interview. I am here now with Lily and Rafaela, who are the co-founders of Collectively Free, an activist community that works toward total animal liberation through anti-speciesist messaging, highly creative nonviolent actions, and pro-intersectional, empowering community building. Thank you, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: Thank you. (laughs) We were just having this conversation right right before this. It's a quick conversation about the the phrase, you guys, and then suddenly, and I'm like totally... I'm trying personally I'm trying to not say you guys as you guys as you guys know I almost did it again
2: (laughs) yeah
0: but anyway so then suddenly I was like oh my god what do I say you don't have to say anything I can just say hi I don't have to like add a you guys or ladies which maybe is even worse does that sound like
1: yeah (laughs) that's true because then you don't want to be like binary or like you know assume that right
0: Right. yeah Mm -hmm. so welcome to the show friends (laughs) <laughs>
2: Thank you, Michael. Thank you, friends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I've been involved with Collectively Free, like a sort of medium amount, I guess. Um, and I'm always so moved by the way the two of you and the organization itself really is... Um, it, it, I, I think that it, the community building is a really big part of what, what you do. I, like, I'm, so, I'm sorry I have to keep laughing about you guys because I keep having to catch myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how... I. There's so many questions. Maybe we'll go all the way to the beginning, and I'd like to know where the two of you got involved in activism or or how. Do you have, like, a history of that? I guess we could go one at a time if you want to or however you feel like.
2: Sure. you want to start, Lily? Sure. Um, Well, I actually went vegan over 10 years ago, and at first I was a little bit involved in activism but not – not so much. I didn't find anything that really uh, I felt very empowered by uh, at the time. And I also was in grad school, too. So that also, you know, contributed to not having any time at all, really. Uh, and it wasn't until, what, two and a half years ago or something when we met, when Rafael and I met, that I started getting back into activism. And then eventually we started talking about founding our own group. And here we are today. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and Rafael, I'm here. Um, I've been vegan for
2: over two
1: years now, and I actually, you know, with me, it's always been really all or nothing sort of situation. Like mm-hmm. I went, I, I went vegan pretty much overnight. Um, you know, and I, I was like, I'm just going to do it. That's it. There's no in between. And from there, believe it or not, for me, activism seemed like it was just part of veganism. I didn't even know that were vegans who are not activists. You know, for me, that was like, what? I, I, is there such a thing? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so I just went straight into activism, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to run into some amazing people that organized uh, the National Animal Rights Day, and I reached out to them and said, hey, I want to organize something. And that was, like, uh, two months after going vegan, and they totally, like, accepted me in, and... I did this little, you know, like fur slash leather booth at their event, and they totally trusted me with with doing it. And you know, I of course I was thinking I had all these like original ideas, you know. And they were like, "Well, you know, this other group has done this before." So I'm like, "Oh, okay," you know. There was so much to learn still, and I was so fresh at it, right. but but I was just I just went for it, yeah.
0: It's then, really amazing how fast that happened. Like, yes, you know, vegan to like. Pretty, I mean, hardcore activist, like just very serious activist.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, I didn't, I, I couldn't, it didn't make sense for me that it would stop at at veganism. You know, it, it has never been, I guess, because I also come from, you know, being part of the LGBTQ community, and I was always being pretty vocal about it, too. In Brazil, um, you know, I was somewhat active at that uh, and that community, so I think that maybe that that's what sparked me to just think it was a natural, you know, progression to it.
0: Yeah, the, you know, I've been thinking a lot recently, um, just in my writing. I'm trying to make connections between my um, interest in animal liberation and my um, my being gay, and and I am still sort of struggling to figure out exactly how they're connected. Even though in my sort of way of being, I just know that they are. Do you do you have any uh do you feel like for either of you, um being in the LGBT community sort of uh set you up to have more more availability for compassion toward animals?
2: What
0: do you think? Does that question even make sense?
2: Yeah. I would say for me well, I definitely started feeling compassion for animals very early and actually went I went vegetarian in high school and then vegan after college so but I always had connection with animals even before I knew I was gay Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure but the activism sure I think that definitely and I've always personally been vocal about you know being also an immigrant and a woman and LGBTQ uh, you know that kind of puts you in Position where you have to constantly prove that you're, you know, you're worthy or, you know, argue about why your issues matter and why you matter. And, you know, so of course that, sure. I suppose that makes it, makes us more relatable in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with Lily. I guess I've I've always
1: was more, I was preferred, if you want to say animals, animals, um, over humans, I've always had, I always felt like they understood me more. I've always felt more connected to them when I was, you know, a child and like protective of them. Obviously, I think also before I knew I was gay, even though I, I came out really early on and I think I knew I was gay when I was like five or six, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. so maybe I came out when I was 13. Um, so it might have had something to do with it, but I guess like my sense of justice too, you can say it was, um, Multiplied by the fact that I was, I'm also a woman and an immigrant and, and part of the LGBTQ community. So I think people that have been through oppressions would, in theory, and I don't have any studies to, to prove this, I, but I would assume that in theory they would be much more likely to be open to the animal liberation message. And we can see that um, when we do outreach, you know, like it's pretty clear to us that uh, folks who are more open to grabbing our leaflets are, believe it or not, usually people of color or, you know, I've, I've had a lot of LGBTQ folks grab or, or engage in conversations and mostly of the white privileged folks just kind mm-hmm. of brushes off. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Uh, is that, I, I uh, that sort of brings me back to the idea of intersectionality and that being part of the collectively free mission to to be pro-intersectional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I want to say about that, though. I mean, it's just interesting that, I mean, I, I guess, uh, I think it was Lily mentioned that sense of justice. Um, and I feel like that is a big part of kind of the undercurrent of what, if not what led me to be vegan, what leads me to want to speak out about animals. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess our big thing was. With- you know, intersectionality is that, um, and it, it's been, it's been said there are studies about it, that, you know, 99% of the intersectional studies left, uh, that are by the left, um, don't mention animal rights at all. So, you know, obviously that means that other social justice movements just simply don't consider animal rights at all. And, and they think they it doesn't matter. It's not a social justice issue. So I think bringing in the intersectional approach, one, is obviously the right thing to do because we should, as activists, care about other social justice causes because they're all connected. You know, All systems of oppression have this connection between them. Um, and also because it would definitely benefit our movement to have um, the support and bridge between other social justice movements, considering animals, you know, worthy of our consideration. You know, imagine how how beautiful it would be, you know, if Black Lives Matter were considering, you know, animal rights as, as a social justice issue or women's rights, you know, the feminists usually, you know, don't even consider animals and get very defensive when we, when we try to bring animal rights into the picture um, and talk about the bodily autonomy of hands or, or, or whatever, you know. Um, so imagine how amazing... Would that be if they finally got that message? Um, so I guess our objective here is trying to, one, tell people that, yes, the systems of oppression op- operate very similarly. Um, and two, that it's okay to care about multiple things at the same time, you know, when it's done correctly. Uh, I think people really freak out when they, when they think that, oh, my God, I'm going to have to speak on behalf of animals and humans you know, at our action? Isn't that like trying to weaken the message? Is, is that going to detract from from the animal liberation message? Does that mean that I care more about humans than I care about animals? You know, and what we've been proving, and I think very successfully, is that no, you're, the message is not going to be diluted. You, you can do that in a way that it's only going to benefit our message because people are going to you know, we, we're a movement, like Lily says, usually made of people, unfortunately, for animals, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to convince people of the fact that animals matter. And what better way of doing that than trying to uh, have people relate to their own personal struggles as, you know, a minority or whatever it is, or even looking at history. And then from that perspective, link it to animals. You know, I think that's a very... um smart way of of trying to to bring the animal liberation into the table.
2: Yeah, and we with our current campaign for instance, uh, we focus on Starbucks as a example of a business that based, whose profits are based on the exploitation of non-humans and humans. So mother cows for their milk and other species for their flesh for sandwiches and also the coffee farmers in Africa and South America, who get paid very poorly, can barely feed their families. So here we have one business exploiting, you know, on very different levels, but for the same purpose. So Mm -hmm. connecting all these different oppressions doesn't put one over the other. One is not more important than the other or Mm -hmm. less important. Um, But they both, you know, are linked Mm -hmm. in this business and there are many other companies like it, obviously. But we focus on Starbucks because they are a leading example. They're, you know, worldwide. They have huge power and influence. So if we, have, you know, if we are successful, if we reach to them and they make a change, then that will set an example to other industries, to other businesses.
0: I'm glad you guys brought up Starbucks. I have... Um I mean, obviously, I'm on board with that campaign because I've been with you guys at uh, ah, there I said it again yes. <laughs> because I've been with you, the two of you at um, uh, or I've been with the organization. Oh my God, I need to stop focusing on it so much. Um, but I've participated <laughs> in the um in the actions. But there are little bits of me that wonder, like how I I, it, and we were talking about it's David was talking about his um approach to doing speakouts where he imagines himself literally having a conversation with someone with an opposing view and answers their questions. So I started asking myself some of the questions that I feel like detractors would say to us, both, um, you know, vegans who are concerned about single issue campaigns and um, people who drink milk, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, so I guess the questions that come up that I don't have like a verbal answer to like for me showing up at these events or Uh, disruptions is something I do because it's an opportunity to speak out. And, and I don't have the um, um, personal motivation to arrange my own at this time. And I believe in your organization, so I'm on board, but I wonder how it would answer questions like why, why Starbucks when there are, you know, thousands, millions Mm -hmm. of potential targets,
1: yeah, that's, that's actually a very good question. Um, and I talked to a Starbucks employee about it the other day, believe it or not, which was, it was a great conversation um, on our, le- not our latest action, but the one before that, um, the employees got pretty violent with us and they locked us into the store. And- oh,
0: I saw that video.
1: Yeah, it was pretty chaotic, right? However, uh, one of the women that was kind of like leading the whole lock-in situation came out (laughs) afterwards, and she actually spoke to me and took a flyer. So her first question was, why Starbucks? Why not other companies? And um, we actually have a whole explanation on that on our blog post. Sorry, our dog is um, (laughs) (laughs) shaking her her (laughs) mouth. We actually have a whole blog post where we break down all the reasons uh, for why Starbucks, but to summarize it very quickly, I think one of the points that Lily mentioned was that Starbucks is, you know, the leading company into the coffee um, industry and the the coffee industry, if if you say it, they have thousands of stores. Their customers are everywhere, just New York alone. You can see there's a Starbucks every corner. So the fact that they're the leading ones and if they change, that's going to set the precedence to all of the other companies. You know, like if you were focusing on Dunkin' Donuts, I don't think Dunkin' Donuts changes would probably influence Starbucks. Um, But the other way around would definitely make a a huger impact. Mm -hmm. The The other portion of it is the demographics. You know, if you think about the kind of people that goes to Starbucks is all different categories of people, you know, from people with not that, I would say even with low income, because Starbucks has become this sort of like luxury item, you know, that folks who are willing to spend $5, you know, on a Frappuccino, even if they don't have that much money, because it has become the sort of like a status symbol, you know, and, and in South Korea alone, believe it or not, that's what they say. It's like, Um, we were watching some videos about it um, and they say that if you walk out of a Starbucks, you know, holding your cup is the equivalent to be holding a designer's handbag. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that bad here in the US, but it definitely sets that message that look how cool I am and it's sort of like the status thing to have. So the demographic part for us is very important because look at all this range of people that, that, that will be reaching out the animal liberation message, you know, from people with low income to you know, the, the hipsters of Williamsburg, like we were there um, yesterday, you know, to the Upper West Siders and Upper East Siders. So that's a great opportunity to, to bring the animal liberation message, you know, to such big mm-hmm. range of people. Do you want to add something else? What did I say everything?
2: Um, I think that's the main thing. Yeah, Those are the, sure. like
1: the main reasons. But uh, on our blog post, which um, we can give, give you the link to, there are even probably more reasons in there.
0: Uh, cool. I'm looking for that blog post right now.
1: I'll give you the, I can (laughs) see.
0: And uh, for those people who are listening, I'll put all of these links. If we mention any others (laughs) and links to the collectively free site on my site, mikeypod.com. So don't worry if you can't write it down or you're worried you'll forget. You can just go there and all the links will be right there. Mm -hmm. Nice. Excellent. Um, so I guess, um, still on the devil's advocate side of things <laughs> um what about how, how what would your response be to a person who says you should be you should just be um doing vegan education singling out milk or fur or any or you know any of the other actions you you do um are, are a waste of time you know the, you know the school mm-hmm. of thought I'm thinking of what do you have like a what would your response to that be?
2: Well, first of all, we don't think any activism is a waste of time. I think I would much rather have you know whatever I think is the most effective. My you know differ from somebody else's, and I think that's a very subjective and uncertain you know parameter. Like how do we how do we know what's the most effective? So I would be glad if people just did something rather than argue about which one to do. Mm-hmm. So, that said, um, you know, we we have had a fair amount of criticism from folks about why direct action in particular uh, they disagree with. And we also have a long talk and discussion and blog post about why it is effective and it's backed with social science studies and history. Uh, And it just what direct action does. And we touched a little bit on it in one of our last videos. It's not about, and no activism is about instant gratification because whether it's leafleting or, you know, protesting outside or inside, people are not really going to change right away, Mm -hmm. but it's about bringing the issue to the table and getting some kind of response, people whether even if it's you know an antagonistic oh who cares about the baby calves who are being killed that is that just shows that people are having some kind of reaction and are thinking about it the other day at chick-fil-a we had someone who during the last uh, last speak out by one of our organizers bobby this person sitting at a table started heckling him and started uh, arguing afterwards about why, you know, why are we disrupting his dinner and other people's dinner, et cetera, et cetera. He had a long conversations with both Bobby and myself. And, you know, he went downstairs with us. We continued the conversation outside. We gave all these examples. And the conversation ended with basically him admitting that, you know, because we we were talking for like 15 minutes. So, you know, he ended up proving himself wrong just by questioning all this and talking to us because now he's going to walk away thinking about all this and he's going to remember this instance. And, you know, that's, that's the whole goal is that people by witnessing, whether it's a disruption or some other type of activism, they're going to see so many of those. The more we act, that they won't go about their day without being faced with the issue of animal rights and with speciesism. Right. And, and
1: to add to that, I think why we focus more on the general aspect of things and not, I would say, so like single issue, like you, you mentioned is because we also don't want to send the wrong message um, saying that, for example, only milk is bad, you know, but, I don't like know, fish but fish or, is, yeah. is okay. So in our campaign, obviously, dairy is, is a big, big um, portion of it. Uh, however, we always make sure to say, and the bodies of, you know, the animals that Starbucks uses for sandwiches and so on and so on. So I think, you know, one of my biggest criticisms with that is that it just kind of like, it's not that it, it okays other types of exploitation, but why not just put everything into this, this big pot, you know, and, and let people know the connections between them. I just find that to be more effective, quite frankly. Um, and we also have nothing against, obviously, lift leading. In fact, we use lift yeah, during our speakouts and outside. So I think that people who only do lift should actually be joining us, you know, and... And please come and help us if you're, yeah, you know, an expert. Letters,
2: absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. If you're, an, <laughs> if you're a pro-lift litter, you know, you, can, you don't need to come to the, the disruption if that makes you uncomfortable. But you can, you can come help us out outside and just engage in conversations if that's your thing. Um, but I think it's so important to be out there and disrupt business as usual, you know, because they, they don't want us to be inside. And they tell us multiple times. It's okay if you do this outside, but it's not okay if you do this inside. And this is exactly why we should be doing it inside.
0: (laughs) You know, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I guess it was, was it Sunday night? Yeah. Sunday night that I was with you. Um, Mm -hmm. The employees never once said you have to leave. Did they? Or did I just miss it? It was almost like they were just waiting for us to go. I think
2: (laughs) think they said it right away, right at the very beginning, but then maybe they didn't say it afterwards. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It It really depends on the store. Like, yeah, yeah. some people are really quick at saying, "I'm gonna call the police." Some people are just like, "Whatever," you know. They they clearly haven't been trained to deal with with our situation yet, with us yet. But I'm sure they will be. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I wonder if the. uh, It it seems like knowing that the speakouts happen, and then eventually we all just walk out on our own. I wonder if they're going to be instructed to just. let them do their thing and, okay. and leave.
1: I would hope so. You know,
0: <laughs> I love it. There was another question I had and I forgot what it was. Yay. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, I, we should talk about, um, I, we, the, the idea to do, well, I already had the idea to ask you both on the podcast. Um, but I, I got a little um, eager to do it soon because I was chatting with Rafa and um, we were. I was talking about how I want to um, get stronger on the guitar so I can do more
1: music-related yes.
0: speakouts, and I've been held back for years by the dreaded F chord, which is required for both of the songs that we wanted to do. And we we wound up with no um, no guitarist Sunday night, and yeah. um, and and it hit me that uh, that this is really dumb that the thing that's keeping me <laughs> from being able to do this thing that I'm good at when I have a piano is, um, is the F chord. So I ma- I'm making a public commitment. Um, yes. what did I say? it was? <laughs> Look, I'm suddenly, I'm like,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I said the 15th, but then I looked at my calendar and just in terms of putting it up on YouTube, I think the 18th would be the, the best day. So that okay. gives me an extra two days, but I promise I'm not just trying to cheat
1: fine okay
0: Okay. okay. a few days is fine yeah so um i will post a video on youtube of myself singing these two songs one is um by sia what's the name of the song i can't even remember
2: no um yeah here i am here i am here yeah. yeah
0: i'm here by sia and the other one which i can't remember the name of the song or the artist
1: goldfinger free me all right so i will
0: put a video of myself singing both of those songs and playing the guitar no matter what state they're in <laughs> so
1: exactly. I, I love it
0: so i have to practice it and if i don't practice i just have an embarrassing video on my youtube channel <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, think, I think it's so awesome that you really like stepped up and said i'm gonna do this you know yeah. because i mean art is such a powerful tool for activism. And, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you know, but we, we, we've done a lot of, like, street theater, and, you know, Lily and I are both designers, so, obviously, art is such a big part of not only our lives, but of, of activism, I and mean, we would love to incorporate more of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 from all different angles, so musicians, actors, dancing, theater, set design, um, we talked about video, like, yeah. there's so much we can do, and... I mean, I don't know what you think, Michael, but I'm sure you will agree with me on this one that if we implement some more of the artistic side on, on activism, it's just more um, I would say inviting to people, you know. I I find it that it's more it's less I'm sorry confrontational to them and kind of like puts everybody on the same level there isn't that thing that it's like oh here are the speakers and here are the listeners it's more like oh everybody sort of like can participate into it I feel like it's more welcoming to people and it's, I don't know just art is just something that, that connects people bring brings people together so absolutely
0: yeah I when I look back at my years Pre vegan and there was even a period of time that I was vegetarian and then went back to eating meat and it's that 's a whole story, um, which actually you can hear like I, it dawned on me that like throughout the course of my, me doing this podcast it 's been about ten years, so it was way before I went vegan, and there are like little moments you can like that I remember that like the the moment I decided like I needed to figure out how to be vegan, I was interviewing um, some people when I still lived in Houston who were protesting the um, the uh, import the Chinese consulate for importing dog and cat fur, and huh. um, and I was talking to the the women who were doing the protest, and and I was trying to be all like like I knew it was up, and I was in with them, and I said, oh yeah, I used to be vegetarian, and they all like stopped and looked at me, and one of them said, used to be, what happened? I like uh, horrified and and I didn't have a reason (laughs) you know like it was in that moment I remember that moment so clearly that I was like oh shit like I believe in this and I'm not doing it so anyway so uh, thinking about all the steps even like when I was a kid and in high school the the way that I started thinking about animals or realized that, that it was something I even could think about was through musicians I liked who were vegetarian or vegan. So it's really interesting. So to me, it's really important, and it is a really great way to reach out and to reach people. So yeah, in yeah. conclusion, awesome. yes, I agree. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, agreed.
0: Amazing. So you've got some more, um, what is this, day four today of the eight yeah. days?
2: Yeah,
0: day four, and then we end on Saturday. Yeah. Amazing.
2: Long long eight days.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm always impressed by how fast you get those videos out.
1: Well, that's the goal. I didn't get one yesterday because we we went out to Champs to have dinner afterwards, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. Um, So we got home at like midnight. Yeah. But but I'm going to put the video up once uh, we're done here and I will do my best to make Mm -hmm. it daily videos. Uh,
0: Yeah. I'm impressed even if there's one day Sans video. I think it's great. (laughs) (laughs) So we can find you at collectivelyfree.org. Um yes. any other particular places online uh, aside from, there's a couple of blog posts you sent me links to that will be linked also on mikeypod.com if you'd like to see those specific po- um blog posts um anything else you guys are on Twitter and I just said you guys again I'm going to let it pass
2: uh, Okay. <laughs> You're noticed if you didn't mention it.
0: I know I'm calling myself out That's just what I do. <laughs> so uh, well, um Twitter
2: to Facebook too. Yeah.
0: Um, I'll put I'll just put those links there. It's yeah. collectively free. Co- your your Twitter is collective free, right?
2: Yeah, because it's too long for Twitter. yeah. Yeah, I hate that Twitter's Twitter. limited character wow.
1: for everything. Mm. So yeah. yeah, and then there's also the YouTube, which has you know some of our talks because obviously also Facebook has a limit of how many minutes you can have a video. I think it's like twenty minutes. So it doesn't let us post our talks, which are some of the links I sent you, the um, Why Activism, Why Direct Action, that is on our YouTube channel. So if people want to see like talks uh, and longer videos, they can check the YouTube channel for that.
0: Fantastic. I think, I'm not sure about this, I think once you get a certain number of subscribers or videos posted, something like that, your limit will increase.
2: Oh, really? Oh, nice. Yeah,
0: maybe someone listening can tell us the details on that. But I feel like that's true
1: that'll be nice
0: so don't fear (laughs) there'll be a day (laughs) oh my gosh thank you so much for joining me today
1: of course pleasure is ours yeah thank you so much for having us and for being at our elections too yes you kicked
2: us today Uh,
0: yes thanks That was Oblique Quartet with T'Kootly. <laughs> I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but it's fun to say it in that whatever strange accent I would. That was T'Kootly. T'Kootly. Uh for the, the Oblique Quartet. Um, I'm super excited about having met uh, Ron Anderson, who is uh, the guitarist in this band, Oblique Quartet. I was uh, looking for, I, ugh, backstory. I have a synthesizer called the MS-20 Mini, which is a uh, replica, three-quarter size replica of a famous synthesizer that Korg made in uh, the 70s. So I was looking for some tutorial videos, like interesting, I wanted to sort of dig deeper into uh, uh, designing sounds on it, and I found this really great video um, from My Lung Puppy everything that has to do with this uh, it's making me give me a weird accent um, and I was super psyched about this video he's playing the knobs and making this sort of music concrete feeling uh, chopping awesomeness so I made a comment and then I sort of investigated further and realized he lived in New York City I was like I'm gonna see if this guy will give me a lesson on how he plays this instrument he had the original uh, MS-20 from Korg and um, turns out that he lives in my neighborhood and he's vegan. What? So he came over, he showed me some things. We did some improvisation and the improvisation is what really, uh, opened my mind uh, about this. I'm, I'm a classically trained pianist first. So, uh, I, I have a difficult time, um, reaching beyond that and also a really strong desire to reach beyond that. So, um, it was really great. Uh, so I have started bringing some of that experimentation into what i'm writing for the animal show um yeah so i'm sharing a lot about that process at um michael Heron. sorry at drip.com michael Heron. drip is a subscription service it's five bucks a month um i'm sharing at least once a week uh some writing and always some kind of sample there's um exclusive material in there if you're interested in checking that stuff out it's just on the verge (laughs) of having like a great community feeling in there um and it's really cool. I love it. Um, I'm also following uh, Ghostly Internationals drip uh, page, which is really great. If you're a fan of electronic music, highly suggested. Um, it's a great label. They do. They're they're like just the right kind of electronic music for me because if things get too, uh, not dancey, but that weird kind of gross sounding. To me, like club music, like circuit party music, does zero for me. But this music, it's, it feels experimental and exploratory while being having that sort of core. I don't know enough about all the different genres of electronic music to be able to talk more specifically than that. Um, but it's really cool. So their, their drip is $15 a month. Uh, I think it's drip.com slash ghostly. You'll be able to find it, though. Um it's a great label and it's really interesting music. And for the 15 bucks a month, they just, you can download every single thing that the that the um, label releases and you get each month an extra download of something from their past catalog. So once you join, you can't download everything they've posted, you download all the new stuff. This is how mine works too. But you also get a, a release each month You're your member where you can go back to the back catalog and pull from things. And their, their catalog is extensive and huge and amazing. And ah, yeah, join that and uh, check out, um, my lung puppy on YouTube. Um, check out all of my stuff. Michaelherron.com is sort of home-based. You can see all the links to my social media stuff there. Uh, send me an email. If you're into this podcast, uh, send me money. If you want to support my work, I'm going to be more specific about how you can do that soon. Uh, right now, I'm in like deep in applying for grants it's a lot of work. <laughs> All this stuff is a lot of work. But the thing I th- I think I wanted to say in the beginning of the show that I'm not that I didn't quite put into words is I it's like each day I have a choice. I can like get bogged down like oh, this is so hard. Oh, I got a text. Or you know, like and let that just be like weighing me down or like fuck man, I got to like do some stuff. Today is what am I doing today? And like I can get under it and move it or I can get under it and watch tv all the time i got rid of my tv so i would stop doing that now i just do it on my ipad not as much uh anyway i guess i better check that text thanks for listening and um, jasmine singer is my guest on friday so you get two podcasts this week Um, i wanted to go ahead and get this collectively free one up and out and into the world a couple of days we're going to hear from jasmine singer talking about her new book amazing thanks for listening